Peace of Christ be with you. As folks continue to file in, and as you get settled into your seat, I encourage you to get settled in your spirit, giving yourself the gift of taking about three deep breaths, that you might be open to the presence of the living spirit in, with, and among us. Friends, let us worship in beloved community. Good morning. Standing or sitting, please join with me in our call to celebration. Come and draw your water from the well of living water and come to the other in search of the same life and be united. Take and eat of the table of compassion and service by nourishment in living for one another in the spirit. be seated. Welcome. Welcome to Westminster. Welcome to worship. It certainly is good to be with you. I think today especially you get a gold star for being here on time with the time change. It is a joy to be here together. If you're new to Westminster, if this is your first time with us, a special welcome to you. I do encourage you during the offering, if you're sitting here in the center aisle, um, to take that pew register and put your name on it pass it down the aisle, pass it back, and then I invite you after worship to greet each other by name. 
And if especially you're new, if you want to add some contact information, we'd be happy to reach out to you later in the week with more information about this community. And then finally, I do invite you after worship to our, our fellowship time, coffee, tea, donut holes. Don't miss those. Uh, that's just simply out these doors and to the left into our Finley Hall. I hope to see you there after worship. Let's join together now in our community prayer. Let us pray. Awaiting God, we find you at the heart of our need, in the essence of our desire, and at the center of our care. Open our eyes to your presence that we might recognize what you offer. Forgive us for holding on to the old ways of selfishness, falseness, and enmity. Settle our fears and anxieties that we might trust in your leading and in our own intuition of your spirit. Grant us the courage to accept your invitation and promise to a deeper consciousness that we might be a part of the transforming of your world in love. Amen. Our prayers continue in quiet. Amen. Friends, know that God delights in each one of us, forgiving us, empowering our work and service in the world, inviting us over and over again into God's beloved community. Thanks be to God. Amen. And as we continue in our time of prayer, uh, now is the time when we encourage you to share with us, share the joys and the concerns that are on your heart and mind today. If you have something to share, just raise your hand and let us know. Yeah, Forrest. Amen. Uh, Deb is uh, having surgery this week, and so we pray for you and for all the medical staff that will be attending to you. Others? Yeah, Gwen. So Gwen's son, Matt, who lives up in the Tahoe area and is in the snow removal business, um, and it's been hard and stressful right now, so prayers for him, absolutely. Yeah, Catherine. Yeah, Anita Lowe had knee replacement surgery, went very well early last week, but prayers now for her, for her healing and recovery process. Suzanne, yeah. 
friend, friend Merrill, who's in the hospital with, it sounds like several different health complications. Uh, Suzanne describes her as a skeptic about religion, but is welcoming our prayers. Absolutely. Amen. Um, I'll add just a couple. Last week, um, we prayed for Eshref, who is the adult son of our nursery attendant, Muhaber, who had a bike accident um, and a head injury. Um, and he is still recovering. He's home, but um, still suffering some dizziness, some nausea. So continued prayers for Eshref as he continues to heal from that injury. Um, and then I want to lift up a joy. Um, we, as a Westminster congregation, um, since the, our pandemic began in March of 2020, have received about 30 new members into our congregation. And Rob and I and Jeff were realizing that that's a really hard time to join a church when you're in the middle of a pandemic. So last night, two of our new members hosted a wonderful dinner for everyone who has joined our church in the last couple of years. Uh, just a wonderful time of conversation, of getting to know our newest Westminster members. So a joy, and I especially want to lift up Hetty and Russ, who, who hosted our energetic bunch at their house. Um, and then I'll add uh, an invitation. We do have a new member orientation coming up next Sunday. If you're new to the church and want to learn more about being a new member, let us know. And RSVP in advance is helpful for that. But just such a joy to gather last night. Anyone else? All right, let's have a few moments of quiet. Oh, wait, I, there's one more. Oh, yeah, Richard, yes. So Richard lifts up his nephew and his nephew's lacrosse team, specifically one of their teammates who's going through cancer, and the lacrosse team shaved their heads as, as support of their teammate. And prayers for the teammate, too, as he goes through his cancer treatments. Let's have just a few moments of quiet, and then I'll lead us together in the Lord's Prayer. So let us be in prayer together. Loving God, we ask that you always continue to shape us into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, the healer, the teacher, the risk-taker who preached possibility, who lived compassionately, who always taught mercy. Show us again and again, O oh God, what is holy and loving in your sight. And hear us now as together we pray the prayer that your Son taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debts. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom.
Amen. This time I invite the children forward for a time of discovery. Nice to see you this morning. If only we all came skipping into the house of God, right? Oh. I'm told technically that's galloping. That's true. It's great to see you all here. Welcome. Glad you're here. I want to tell you a little bit about what the adults are going to hear while you are in Sunday school doing your own studies of sacred stories, either in that class or in the older class. So you'll hear different stories than the adults are going to hear. The adults are going to hear a story about Jesus meeting a woman at a well. And one of the things that becomes apparent when they meet each other is that they lived in a time when there were lots of rules about who you could and could not be friends with. Jesus lived in a time where there were people who did not associate with each other. They could not eat with each other. They could not uh, share a drink with one another. And they certainly couldn't be friends with one another. Now, just for a moment, I wonder what it was like to live that way, to be told, well, those are the bad people. Don't be around them. Don't go near them. They're not safe. They're wrong. Well, Jesus, as you might imagine, uh, wants to teach them about a different way of being. Jesus says God's way is coming, and in fact, God's way is already here if we would just live into it. And those old stories about what you've been told about the other people, you can let go of them. You don't have to believe them to be true anymore. And you can be friends with those people, and you can eat with those people, and you can worship with those people. Those old rules don't apply. I wonder what it was like for Jesus to say that to a world that may not have been ready to hear it. And I wonder what it was like if you were one of those first people who heard Jesus say that. Whether you would be relieved or excited, or whether you would disagree and think that teaching was dangerous wonder about that. Well, after the service, uh, when you're having lunch with your families and they ask you what you did in Sunday school, you can ask them what they learned in church. <laughs> so I see we have some potentially new faces here. So in a moment, I'm going to say a prayer and then Bethany is going to lead all the children out into the entryway, which you call the narthex, where the teachers will greet them and take them to their rooms. There are materials out there that should show you where your children went if you're wondering where to pick them up after the service. But if you have any questions, just on the way out, ask Bethany, and she'll make sure she can match you up with your child. Let's say a prayer. Dear God, thank you for today. Thank you for the gift of being able to be friends with anyone. And help us to be good friends with everyone. Amen. So I invite you to follow Bethany now. Go now in peace, go now in peace. May the love of God surround you everywhere.
So today's scripture is from the Gospel according to John, chapter 4, verses 5 to 42. That's 37 verses. <laughs> so listen now to what the Spirit might be saying to us today. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of the ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give, that I will give them will never, uh, the water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying you have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I see you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You will worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such as the, these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he 
the one who is speaking to you. Just then, the disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, what do you want, or why are you speaking to her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, surely no one has brought him something to eat. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of he who sent me and to complete his work. Do you not say, four months more, then comes the harvest? But I tell you, look around you and see how the fields are ripening for harvest. The reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows, the other reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of, his, because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. This is holy wisdom, holy word. Four words to hold in your heart when you come to church. Longer reading, shorter sermon. <laughs> it does help, though, to hear the arc of a story. A colleague of mine tells a story that tickles my funny bone every time I think of it. It's of sharing communion in his church. Now, this can be a really sacred moment when people come forward to receive the elements. There's no telling what anyone is carrying at any given moment. And sometimes they'll share it with you explicitly and off to the side in prayer or otherwise, but often they won't, but you can see it in their eyes. Sometimes a tear will appear, sometimes they'll have pursed lips, and you know they're carrying something deep. So there's this tender moment when you offer them the bread or the cup. And so he's passing out the elements to the congregation, and someone comes forward, and it's clear they have something to say to him. And so they start to move closer, and he says, oh, they're, they're carrying something. And he leans in receptively, and she whispers into his ear, I have a love seat that I think would probably fit at the church. It's not that there was not a generous gesture of hers. It's just so it kind of misses the moment, right? That's not what we're going for when we're celebrating the Eucharist, Jesus giving his body and blood for the world. 
but thanks for your furniture donation nonetheless. That moment is going for a little higher level of consciousness, right? That's what we're trying to achieve there. And Jesus has these encounters all the time where he's trying to elevate the plane on which people are operating and they're kind of stuck down here in the important but somewhat mundane. You see Jesus time and again trying to lift up people's consciousness. The Gospel of John is filled with discordant stories that are somewhat humorous like that, where he's kind of operating up here and his students are down there and he's, he's inviting them to, to operate on a higher level. You heard the, the quintessential story last week. This talk of being born again, born anew, born from above. And the disciples say, wait a minute, how can you re-enter the womb once you've come out of it for the first time? And again, the point is not that the disciples are foolish. It's, it's just John's way of illustrating in no uncertain terms, Jesus, Jesus is inviting us to something both deeper and higher at the same time. And today continues that theme. You see it more than once in that extended reading that Barb just offered. Jesus is resting at a well. That's an interesting metaphor in and of itself. And there is a Samaritan woman, and he asks her to draw for him a drink. That seems simple enough, but this violates major cultural norms. Potentially his interaction with the woman, just as woman, but even more so as Samaritan. Because Samaritans and Jews were mortal enemies. Not to be mixing in no uncertain terms. By asking her for water, Jesus is not just asking her for water. He's asking her to enter a higher level of thinking into a new space beyond enemies. He's asking her to abandon the stories that they've been told about one another's people. To leave those constructs behind. It is no small ask. And it makes sense, therefore, why so many people have chosen not to follow Jesus. Not because they don't get it, but probably because they do get it. They understand how serious of an ask it is. It also makes sense why so much of the church throughout history has made following Jesus about lots of things that have nothing to do with actually following Jesus. Right? We can just decorate up the old constructs that we don't want to let go of, the old stories of who's bad and who's good and who's unclean, but we'll just drape some religious ceremony around it so we can keep to our old ways. Most of this happens subconsciously, of course. But accepting that invitation is serious and significant. That happens again, that lesson, when Jesus' disciples come to the well. And rather than attend to his thirst, they want to attend to his hunger. They say, Rabbi, teacher, have some bread. And what Jesus says to them is, what I need to sustain me is not bread. It's doing the will of the one who sent me. Asking them to ascend to a higher level of consciousness. That's my food, doing the work and the will of the one who sent me. Now, it should be said here in a church that Jesus is not telling us to ignore the material needs of the world, 
our own or of others. And if you read the Gospels for any length of time, you'll find that Jesus is constantly attending to the physical and the material needs of others who are in desperate need. And that needs to be said in a church because the church has at times in certain places been guilty of just spiritualizing everything, which conveniently lets us off the hook of attending to the material suffering of others and ourselves. And that's clearly not what's going on here. What's going on here is Jesus is trying to offer the kind of spiritual sustenance, the kind of provision that allows you to face the real material suffering in your life and in the world and not be shaken or just blown to pieces by the first heavy thing you encounter. That's the point. Spirituality sometimes gets a bad rap as being all about escapism, but true spirituality is not about escapism. True sacred wisdom is sometimes about withdrawing only so that you can fortify and get grounded so that when you re-enter, you can take the storms that come your way. That's the whole point, folks. Roshi Joan Halifax, I think, illustrates this well. She's of the Zen Buddhist tradition. You know, so often we can be gifted by a, a, a wise person from another tradition. And she was interviewed some time ago by Krista Tippett on the uh, On Being show and podcast. There's information about that in the bulletin if you want to read the transcript of the episode or listen to it. Uh, she was trained under Thich Nhat Hanh, among other uh, significant Buddhist figures. She's been a civil rights activist, an environmental activist, and she's done a lot of work with the dying and dying with some intention. The episode that she's interviewed is called Finding Buoyancy Amidst Despair. Perhaps you can relate to the need for that and the experience of that state. And in it, Halifax responds to Tippett's characterization of her work as being about dealing with compassion fatigue. Perhaps you've heard of that or felt it. And Halifax says, well, that's not exactly how I would label it, nor how I would diagnose it. She says, I think what we're actually seeing is not compassion fatigue, but empathic distress, where there's a resonance, a resonance with the suffering that's going on in the world, but we're not able to stabilize ourselves when we're exposed to this kind of suffering. And Lord knows we're exposed to so much suffering, right? But we're not able to stabilize ourselves. When we're more stabilized, then we can face the world with more buoyancy. We have more resilience. We have more capacity to actually address these very profound social and environmental issues. So that's why I call these things edge states, because they really call us to our edge. They call us to our edge. These conditions, conditions of suffering or existential threat, they call us to new levels of consciousness and new degrees of stability so that we can face them. That's the point of spiritual practice. That's the point of studying sacred wisdom, to give you that sense of stability. One of my deep prayer practices, <clears throat> guilty pleasures, is watching bad reality TV. And uh, I was watching one of the 10,000 shows about living uh, naturally in Alaska. 
And uh, there was this episode where the, this couple was fishing. And I'm going to use highly nautical terms, so see if you can stay with me. They're on this boat with these long pole things, uh, with the, these wire things hanging with all the, the bait and the hooks. And uh, I'm from Indiana. I'm not a fisher person, okay? Um, and at one point, the, one of the people in the boat says, well, I'm going to throw the stabilizers in. Why did, I didn't know boats have stabilizers. You probably know this. You're sailors. But it's this kind of anchor-like device, and they throw one over each end. And it doesn't stop the boat in place, but what it does is it helps the boat not be so overturned by the waves. It steadies it in the water. Great metaphor, right? Boat stays atop the water, buoyant, and is stable in the water. And that allows them to, in, to keep doing the work of gathering fish in the midst of the storm. That's the spiritual practice. That's what accessing divine wisdom and divine presence does for us. And when we do that, when we eat of that bread or take of that kind of sustenance, all the old lines fade away. All the old stories we were told that we thought kept us safe Labeling those people as bad and wrong and unclean, they fade away because you don't need them. Because you're anchored in something more solid than this. This is what's going on when Jesus says, your people think you got to worship on the mountain. My people think you have to worship in the temple. But God's way is coming and it's here and the time is coming and is at hand when people won't worship there or there. They'll just worship in spirit and truth. You don't have to believe the old stories anymore, the old lines anymore. We're talking about a greater level of consciousness. All those things fade away when you avail yourself of that kind of sustenance. And Jesus accomplishes this in his students in that moment by changing their diet, taking a different kind of bread, a different kind of water. Might we be in need of changing our diets too? Because we're inundated with all this stuff we consume, and that's exactly the right verb that just makes us sick. Well, first of all, we live in this weird moment where we're all called upon and given permission to produce all kinds of content. In fact, we only exist with any worth if we put some content out there for public consumption and critique, which seems unhealthy to me in terms of identity formation. I guess it's good that we all have the ability to do that. The demand that we do that seems out of balance. And then we consume all this stuff, and, and our interpersonal stuff aside, I mean, where are the authentic relationships? That's a whole different sermon. But even from uh, our official sources, so much of what we get is mislabeled or misleading and certainly malnourishing. It's spiritual junk food, and it's addictive like junk food is addictive. And we take it in, and we in turn become that and offer that back out to the world as our gift. But it's, of course, no gift at all. And what Jesus is saying is, no, you can take in something richer that will allow you to produce something richer. And the good news is, you're not a child anymore. You don't have to eat what people are offering you. 
You get to make adult decisions about what you put in your body. You can draw new lines and boundaries, ones that will serve you. Remember what Paul said. I was a child. I thought like a child. I spoke like a child and acted like a child. Spirituality is all about growing up and making adult decisions about what we will consume and how we will speak and how we will act. And the best way to grow up is to open ourselves to the divine parent that will nurture us into adulthood. Right? It's available to us all. It's not limited to some group that we've designated. Well, again, let's turn outside the tradition to give us a wonderful example of how this can look across tradition. There's a spiritual teacher named Adi Ashanti. It's not his birth name. It's his, a name he assumed as he progressed in his spiritual path. He, like Halifax, was trained in the Zen Buddhist tradition, though he understands Christianity really well. He wrote a wonderful book about Christ and teaches about Jesus. He now refers to himself as existing outside any formal tradition, which probably resonates with more of us than we would admit. And he tells the story of going on a five-day retreat, something he'd done many times before as a practicing Buddhist, something he'd found very rewarding before, though challenging, of course. But this time, something was different. He was overcome with this restlessness, and he just couldn't settle in, and it wasn't working, and he almost couldn't stand it anymore. And so he said, I've got to get out of here, and he did. He listened to himself, he got in his car, and he drove home without telling a soul. But then he was unmoored, right, because his anchor, he had cast off. So he did what he'd been trained to do, which is go to his prayer room and sit on the mat and open his heart in meditation. That's his stabilizing practice. And he had what you have only once in a long while when you engage in that kind of practice, which is a profound, overt spiritual religious experience. He said he had an overwhelming experience of this all-encompassing force, this unifying force. He almost could have put it into words, but he said it was redemptive love. Interesting words for a Buddhist. Right? Very Christian words. The sense of redemptive love washed over him. And so when his time was over, he got up and went in, and the phone rang. And it was one of the monks from the retreat center. And they said, well, why did you leave? And he said, as honestly as he could, I don't know. And the monk said, why don't you come back? And he said, okay. So it's very simple. Right? When you're anchored, it's very simple. So he went back to the retreat center, and the, the zendo, or the, the room where they were meditating, there was another monk standing at the door. And that monk said to him, you shouldn't have left, and you shouldn't have come back. I, now, I can only imagine how I would react. Uh, lying? Uh, well, no, I had to, I, I mean, there was a hospital, and uh, babies, and uh, broken, uh, you know, medical emergency. Or... Or maybe some kind of uh, uh, defensiveness, right? Pushing back, feeling attacked and wanting to push back in some way. Maybe even anger. Or maybe I just would have run away altogether, right? You're right, I shouldn't have. I, I, you know. He just stood there. 
And he said, I didn't lose any of the glow of that experience of all-consuming redemptive love. And I also didn't dismiss what the monk said. He said, actually, I was able to understand that from the monk's perspective, he was right. I shouldn't have just left without talking to anybody, without telling anyone. And it was awfully presumptuous of me to just come back and assume that I could just, you know, burst back in. This group is midway through their process. This is not for me to take and leave at every whim and whimsy. He said, from the monk's perspective, the monk was right. It didn't mean he was wrong, but he understood where the monk was coming from. That seated meditation, that prayer space, gave him the stabilizing ability to receive the perspective of the other, to integrate it, to respond to it, without losing the security of that all-accepting redemptive love. That's it. That's what we're going for. That's the love seat. That's the real love seat that every day someone is bringing to you and says, I think it will fit. And our job is to recognize it and make room for it. If we want that higher level of consciousness to which Jesus invites us. So I have one for you, and I think it will fit. Amen.
You may be seated. This time I invite Catherine Van Dusen forward to offer a moment on behalf of the capital campaign. Hi, good morning. Seeing all of you, I realize I'm a Sunday school teacher and I'm much better back there with the four to 12 year olds, um, but I'll do my best. Uh, I'm Catherine Van Dusen and um, been a member here for about 15 years. And I, as I said, I've been teaching Sunday school here for about 13 years. My husband and I have three children, a 15-year-old, 13-year-old, and 9-year-old. And um, it's been a joy to watch Brandon grow up with Rob's son, Liam, in Sunday school uh, the last almost 10 years. Um, and I can't believe it, but they're going to middle school in a year and a half. Um, I'm here to talk to you about the capital campaign and um, our, what we've done so far. We do have uh, brochures in the um, pews as well as in the narthex, so please take a look. But um, the capital campaign is to uh, raise money to, to reduce our debt. We had a goal of $750,000 and um, a reach goal of 1.1 million. We're well on our way at the end of our silent phase. Uh, we reached, we've re reached 770,000. So thank you so much to all of you who have uh, already donated to, to our ple and pledged. Um, this really allows us to continue our work here in our church and in the community here in Marin. And um, I'm looking forward to reducing our debt. Of we're principal in debt is about sixty to seventy thousand a year. So by raising the funds, we can eliminate that and put the money that comes into the church um, to all of our programs here. I ask you to join our family, my family, our collective family in supporting the capital campaign. Thank you so much. Thank you, Catherine, and, and thanks to all of you who've helped. Um, Amanda Stevens, who's our capital campaign chair, is here, and as we've said more than once, when we recruited her to, to lead, we promised her a co-chair, and we didn't make good on that promise, so we have designated everyone as a co-chair so that we're all in this together. One other thing I'll mention is there are brochures um, that give just a snapshot encapsulation of what we're trying to accomplish here. They're in the pews. They're out on the table in the narthex. Feel free to take one or two. If you have someone who needs one, we have more that we can restock. But if you, it's a nice sort of uh, glimpse, uh, tangible something you can hold and take that gives you a sense of just the kinds of things that Catherine spoke about. I won't repeat all the announcements in the bulletin. I'll just urge you to make sure you're looking at it. Make sure you're looking at your e-news. If you're not getting that, it's a weekly uh, email newsletter that, that comes out uh, mid to late week. And it's probably the best way to stay informed about what's happening at Westminster. Let, let me know or let Bethany know or let the office know so we can sign you up. Uh, also, uh, take a peek at the website from time to time and just talk to folks about what's going on in the life of the church. The one that I will highlight for today is a 4 o'clock concert that's happening today. And there is an announcement in your bulletin, the Sing We Enchanted Benefit Concert. Uh, I'll let you read about it there. But it should be a great time, especially if you're a music lover. It's free, but we are taking a free will offering, and all these uh, wonderful singers are graciously donating their time and their gifts 
so that you might both be fed and might respond with some generosity, and all of that will benefit the music program at this church, which I will say has been underfunded for some time. So um, that would be, it's a, it's a win-win for everyone, so I hope you can make it here today at 4 o'clock, and my thanks to all those who have worked hard to make this event happen. Another one of these series of wonderful Westminster events. And with that, let's join our hearts and our voices with our closing hymn, which is number 479.
it's a good time to come to the water because it is everywhere right now. But isn't that a wonderful image of that hymn? Because when you do, from your heart will flow a never-failing stream. That's what's at stake. So friends, as you go from this place to find that water, which is always all around you, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God who is Father and who is Mother of us all, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and be with you every day. Amen.